0: Uh, our passage for this morning, we're kind of covering the whole chapter uh, of chapter 9 in the book of John. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter for you. It'll be up here for like five minutes. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 and then verses 24 through 41. As he went along, he saw a, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? "'Neither this man nor his parents sinned,' said Jesus, "'but this happened so that the works of God "'might be displayed in him. "'As long as it is day, "'we must do the works of him who sent me. "'Night is coming when no one can work. "'While I am in the world, I am the light of the world.' "'After saying this, he spit on the ground, "'made some mud with the saliva, "'and put it on the man's eyes. "'Go,' he told him, "'wash in the pool of Siloam. "'This word means sent. "'So the man went and washed and came home seeing.' Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him, in fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is uh, Joel, and I am uh, one of the pastors here Um I am glad that we are able to uh, be both uh, worshiping in person um, and also being able to worship online. So welcome to those of you who are joining us um, from your living rooms or your cabins or wherever it is that you're joining us from this morning. We're happy to have you here as well, and welcome to everyone who is here in person. Um, for me, one of, the, one of my, f- my, f- my favorite reasons that we're able to meet back in person again is that when I tell jokes, um, I don't have to just look at a camera for a reaction. So, you with your masked faces is not much better. I can't tell if you're smiling or frowning, um, but I'm going to assume you're all smiling very big um, when I tell when I tell jokes. So, no, but uh, glad to have you all here this morning. Um, we, we have been uh, kind of going through a mini-series in the book of John uh, for the last few weeks uh, that we're calling Devil's Advocate. And uh, what we're doing is, is we're seeing that Jesus, who has uh, come down from heaven. He is uh, uh, God who has taken on flesh to come and to reveal God's purposes in the gospel to the world. Well, we're seeing that he receives some pushback, some sort of opposition from people in his own time. And what we're doing is, is we're taking the oppositions or the pushback or the things that Jesus is uh, encountering there and we're, we're kind of bringing it forward into the present day and we're saying, what does this opposition and how Jesus respond have to say to us as we maybe experience similar or, or the same oppositions today. And so, um, and so what we're going to do today is, I'm going to introduce it in just a moment, but we're going to be talking about another one of those sort of challenges uh, to faith and how Jesus responds to it. Now at the end of last week's sermon, Jesus had been in this sort of really uh, intense confrontation with the Pharisees, and he had, uh, the text just says, uh, we didn't read it this week, but the text just says he just, he, he got away from them. And I don't, I'm not totally sure if it's like, You know, like you know, in in Batman movies, when like someone is looking at Batman and then turns away, and they look back, and he's gone, he just disappears. I don't know if it was like that, or I don't know if it was like Doctor Strange with the spinny portal thing, and he walks through it. I'm not totally sure, but somehow Jesus got away from them, um, and um, he and his disciples are kind of walking along now, and they come across this man who has been born blind from birth. And you heard this from Julie. I'm going to walk through this part of the text again, Um, in, in verses one through two. Of John chapter 9, we're told, as he went along, he saw a man born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the disciples, listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus at this point, you realize, you know, maybe you haven't totally grasped that Jesus is God, but you know he's got some insight from the Father right? And so it makes sense that the disciples from time to time decide to use like a divine uh, Google search or, or a Siri, right? Hey, hey Jesus, um, you know, what's the weather going to be like today? Uh, and so they decide to use this here as they see this guy born blind. You can, you can tell us a question that they probably maybe wrestled with from time to time asking why was this person, what, what happened to this person that they're Uh, that they're like this, and they figure they'll ask Jesus and see what his response is. Now the question, as I'm sure you picked up on, assumes a sort of... uh divine karma system, that every sin, uh, every, every, every mistake, every uh, wrong action has some sort of uh, negative re- reaction to it, and that God is sort of up in heaven um, and keeping track of every wrong and then sort of meting out justice, kind of saying, you did this thing wrong, so now I'm going to do this thing to you, and that's sort of the system that it seems like the disciples uh, have. We'll see the Pharisees too later on in the passage actually have the same view. So it must have been a pretty common one at the time that that God is up there and, and it comes out of a good place. That God is just; he does something about evil. But it kind of creates this system where that, that when we think about it is is maybe uh, maybe not painting God in the picture of being merciful and gracious, it more paints him maybe as sort of harsh and, uh, and reactionary, and like a malicious sort of judge who's going around sort of meeting out justice to everyone who does something bad, right? God is certainly all-powerful, but maybe he's not uh, a merciful or, or gracious, Now today what I want to do is I want to use this opportunity to talk about an opposition to faith that a lot of people in our culture have, and that's called the problem of evil. Um, Now uh, this is sort of a a problem that can be expressed in like a really formal way, like a formal like opposition that philosophers have had, and it also comes out in a sort of non-formal way, and I'll kind of talk about both of those here now. Um, Really, it starts as sort of an ancient, like, an ancient proof that God or the gods don't exist. And actually, a philosopher, a guy by the name of Epicurus, came up with it uh, like 300 years before Jesus was born. So this was on the scene for a long time beforehand. But uh, basically, the, the, the argument goes like this. If God is all-powerful, then he could stop evil. He could stop bad things from happening. And if God was all good, all loving, all all benevolent, all all merciful, he would stop evil or bad things from happening to people. Now, the one thing we can all agree on is that evil and bad things certainly exist. So, sort of working backwards from how we've set it up, that must mean a God who is all-loving and all-powerful doesn't exist. That's how the the, the logic of of this works. And there's definitely sort of a non-formal version that people have, that many people have, understandably, as a response to evil in the world, to bad things that happen to them, asking questions like, why would a, why would the God that, that Christians worship, or or maybe the God of another religion, why would He allow my parents to die in a car accident, or why would He allow my grandparents to die from coronavirus, or or why why am I why was I born with this chronic condition of maybe a blindness? Right? That, that's the way that people start to ask that question. It's hard to, to learn about a God who's all merciful and, and loving and all powerful to wonder, well, why am I in this situation then? And a lot of people are, are in this place where they're sort of wrestling with that, and I think very understandably. And I, I, don't wanna, I definitely don't want to trivialize that uh, for people today because it is true. There is massive evil in the world. There is massive injustice. There is massive... Um, uh, uh, vi- you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? We live in, t- in, in a turbulent time where we experience the effects of, of sin and death and evil on a regular basis, and it, it's a fair thing to question, where is God in all of this? What is God doing? Why did this happen in the first place? And, and for a lot of people, that becomes sort of a defeater, a sort of opposition to uh, belief in Jesus because it is just a, a big challenge to them. Now, actually... Uh, as bad as things are for us today, uh, things have been much worse in human society in the past. Um, epidemics actually, you know, the last major uh, like thing like coronavirus that happened in the world was like 100 years ago, the Spanish flu. They were a lot more common in the ancient world because of just the absence of things like soap and um, basic understanding of how hygiene works. You had plagues happen on a regular basis. Um We have a lot of children that are about to be born or have been born at Res City, praise God. Um, But actually, the statistics in the ancient world were that one-third of those children would not be here. Childbirth was actually a very dangerous thing in the ancient world. Something as simple as having a child was not so simple uh, in the ancient world. And even... Many of our, fa- one of our favorite activities as millennials is traveling, right? We, we love traveling. Apparently there, was it in Singapore where people are getting on planes to simulate traveling? Uh, they're just sitting on planes, watching movies, getting uh, service from, uh, uh, fr- from flight attendants, uh, like they're getting to travel because they're, they're so bummed out that they can't travel for real. We love traveling in today's world. Um, but actually, traveling in the ancient world was a really dangerous thing. Like, you did not just go for fun trips to another place uh, so you could get a lot of pictures uh, to bring home and show your friends. Obviously, there's a few reasons uh, why you couldn't do that in the ancient world. But um, that was not a, a normal thing that, that people could do because travel was super dangerous. You had storms. You had uh, robbers. It just... Uh, you, you didn't have a plane you could hop on. Sometimes a trip could take uh, months to get there. So people uh, uh, didn't do that. Now, despite all that, despite the fact that in the ancient world, that but the pre-modern world um, it was very harsh, Christianity actually thrived in that setting, right? The, for, for those people, uh, Christianity was not... Um, There was not a wall, a sort of opposition of the evil in the world that stopped Christianity from spreading. In fact, it was the opposite. It actually spread like wildfire because of its response too evil, too injustice, too bad things happening in the world. Um, just a, an example of this on the on the uh, uh, example of, of epidemics. Um, we have there's an inc- incredible story of uh, in the second century a plague that took place uh, called the plague of Galen. It was a it was a plague that took place in Rome, and and actually there's a scholar named Rodney Stark who says one of the reasons that Christianity spread in the ancient world was because of epidemics and because of the response of Christians. Christians would they would rush into The cities where many pagan people were were dying, they would care for them, they would care for the other Christians, and people would be converted because they saw that these Christians, because of what they believed, they actually had an action plan that they uh, responded to uh, the epidemic by, by going in and helping people. And, and, and they had an answer for the problem of evil because of their theology that was super attractive to, to many people who were, were, were pagans. And so a lot of people converted to Christianity because of this. So, so actually, the fact that today we, we think that, there is some, you know, that the problem of evil is some sort of reason to not believe is actually sort of flipped around from how it's been for most of history. Now, what's been, the, what's been the big change? Why is that the case? I actually think there, there are maybe three reasons we could kind of, kind of highlight. Um, the first is that our view of God has changed. So I've talked about this in the past. Um, the default religion, this is uh, from, from a guy named Christian Smith, the default religion in America, many people are Christians, but really what, when you actually kind of drill down to what they believe, he calls it this thing called moralistic therapeutic deism. And I'm not going to unpack it in depth now, but basically it's this view that God wants us to be good, he's like our big therapist in the sky, in other words, and he's kind of not involved in our life otherwise. So we have this expectation that, um, that God is there to sort of help us feel better, just like just like someone we could go to talk to pay to talk to uh, in a therapy session and and he 's supposed to make our life better and when our life 's not good, then that whole system gets you know turned over okay now that's you know that, that''s that 's a problem when when things are bad and and you experience some major suffering. The second thing I think that has changed is our view of pain um, it really serves no purpose for us today. We we really have no n- no thing for for no, no way to view pain to see it uh, it have maybe having some good effect potentially. Um, really, what it does is it just disrupts our plans. It uh, makes relationships harder. It keeps us from having uh, success, and it adds like stress and anxiety to our lives. Right. So pain is just something we want to try to avoid at all costs. We don't see any redeeming quality when we do experience pain in today's. World. and the third third thing I think is that is that we have done this in the modern world uh, of we've detached the story of the Bible specifically of the gospel of what God is doing about sin in the world through Jesus on the cross we've taken that thing that's at the center of the Bible and we've sort of detached that from how we view uh, bad things that happen in the world we, we, we start to ask, what is God up to? I know God came to save my sins and he died on a cross for me, but what does that have to do with the fact that I you know, am, am in pain in this way or that someone recently died? What, what does that have to do with that? People, we don't actually make that connection that perhaps what God is doing on the cross is specifically his response to bad things that happen in the world. We don't think about that. We don't make that connection. And we really need to bring that back together. Now I think what Jesus uh, sh- does in the passage here is he shows us that um, God uh, is not the God that we we, we so often encounter uh, uh, in sort of popular belief today. Um, he gives pain purpose. And he brings the gospel and the problem of evil back together again. And we're going to talk about that as we go in the passage here to see how he does those three things sort of as his response to maybe the problem of evil in his day and how the problem of evil plays out for us today. We're going to talk about what that looks like. So let's, let's keep moving through the passage here and let's see his response in, in, in uh, John 9.3. Jesus says to them, in response to the disciples asking this uh, divine Siri question, uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the disciples, their big question is, why did this happen in the first place? What is this in response to? They're all about looking back to see what happened a long time ago that, that made this guy be born blind from birth. And that's not wrong. The Bible does give us some clarity about why things are so messed up in the first place. Unfortunately, though, there are a lot of times that is left, you know, there are a lot of things that are bad in the world that are left unanswered for us in the Bible. And we see Jesus' response to them is to not look back, but actually it's to look forward. Um, and, And he tells them, basically, in effect, that you guys are asking the wrong question. The question you should be asking is, what is God going to do through this man's Blindness. What? What is God's purpose in the midst of it as we go forward? That's where He wants their attention to be trained—is on what God is up to through the midst of this guy's blindness. And so, um, this puts the question when we when we reframe it this way, when we ask the question the way that Jesus does, it, it, it puts the question of why bad things happen, what the purpose of pain is, who God is, and the Bible's story of redemption all back together again. Now. I want to keep going on that vein, but I do want to pause here just briefly and say um, it's not it's not a bad thing to ask the question why do bad things happen in the world? I think we need to ask that question so that we in society as Christians can work to sort of fix in you know things like injustice, things like harm to people. It's a good thing for us to ask to try to figure out why evil does play, take place in the world. But we also need to be firmly fixated on what God is doing in the midst of things like blindness in order to get a sense for what he's up to in the midst of it as well and we have to sort of uh, we have to sort of get on board with that and to be working with jesus in the midst of that now let's keep let's keep moving the passage well, i'm going to pick that back up but i going to do it in the application section we're going to jump to verse 24 here so the man he uh he he, he he's healed by jesus um he's Telling everyone that he's not blind anymore, he sort of runs back into the Pharisees, and the Pharisees have already decided this dude Jesus, um, he is up to no good. So even if he heals Zacchaeus of his blindness, he's there's something fish. About that, there's some reason we don't know what it is yet, but we know there's some reason why, like this is not as good as it seems. And they're so they're grilling this guy who's been healed of his blindness and trying to figure out what's the matter. Are you in league with him? Were you actually born blind from birth? And they actually go get his parents. They put his parents They bring his parents in to say, "Hey, this son of yours was he actually born blind?" They're they're trying to see if it's this big, uh, sort of uh magic trick by Jesus essentially, and and. They, they can't sort of find out that it is. So um, they bring the man back a second time. And he says, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. And they say, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, we know Jesus is a sinner. Okay? Their minds are made up already. They have no question about it. Jesus is a sinner and so he cannot have healed this guy. So we need to get to the bottom of this. And if this guy actually values God, if he actually wants to bring glory to God, then his answer should not be that Jesus healed me. That's, what, that's the box that they're putting him in here. And so we see that the Pharisees have this sort of wrong view of God, um, like many people today might have a wrong view of God. It's not the same wrong view, but but our distortions at who God is, our clarity at who the God of the universe is, the God who is redeeming creation that he created, when our uh, clarity of him is fuzzy, then everything else is going to be out of focus as well, including how we view things like evil in the world. And we see that that's true with the Pharisees here as well. This wrong view of God caused them to reject Jesus and reject what God was doing about people who are born blind and sin in the world. Under no circumstances could God be responding to evil through Jesus. That's what their their view is. And this view completely distorts them. Let's let's keep going as as we see the man sort of called him out for this in verse 30. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. This is Jesus still. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped at sin in birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So notice in verse 34 here that they have the same view that the disciples have, right? They were like, well, we know the reason you were born blind is because you were so full of sin when you were born for whatever reason. We don't even know what it is, but we know that must have been the reason that this blindness came upon you. And so they resort back to that and they say, the fact that you were born blind means we can't trust a thing you say. That's their view of it. This man's man's blindness is a mark on him that he is full of sin and cannot be trusted. That this man was born blind because of some punishment of God, some sin. And the Pharisees, they think this is God's response to the problem of evil, to evil in the world. is to go out and punish it by uh, sort of doing other things that seem evil as well, like blindness. That's what they think God is doing in the midst of, of evil in the world. And you see sort of their bias, their wrong view of God come out in the fore in a way that you really are like, yeah, I definitely can't get on board with that. That's not a God that I want to worship. Now, moving on to verse 39 here, Jesus does come back into the scene here and has a conversation with the Pharisees. And he calls them out for this when he says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind." Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we born blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So so catch the irony here. Catch this irony. The Pharisees have their own agenda. They think that they're right. And they think that God's on their side and Jesus, because he's not on their side, is clearly not on God's side. They have an idea of what it looks like for God to do something about evil And what it ends up doing is actually blinding them to what God is actually up to in the world. And this sort of chosen blindness that they have brings a judgment on them. That's what Jesus is saying. Now get this. Get get the irony of this. And John is is very clear, I think, in in sort of presenting this to us. They end up being like the blind man, blind themselves, and steeped in... uh, they're steeped in sin, steeped in the blindness that comes from their sin in their rejection of Jesus, uh, in their wrong conception of who God is. They end up sort of becoming blind themselves. That's what's going on here. So, so tables completely turn on the Pharisees um, because they refuse to sort of reject this, uh, this view of God that is, is revealed in Jesus. Now, what I want to do is I want to sort of unpack everything we've talked about here in the f- form of some application. And, and the first application i have here i sort of have have kind of uh introduced it uh, but i want to go on a little further is um that if you are experiencing suffering pain hardship or evil don't respond by divorcing it from the works of god from what jesus is doing in the book of john in the rest of the gospels and what the rest of the bible is talking about what jesus is up to what god is up to in jesus okay remember we talked about the pharisees and the disciples they placed this emphasis on on um, this man's blindness in the past. And, and t- today we ask the question too, the same way, why does God let these bad things happen? And, and Jesus and, S- and scripture, they they, they, they they give us some answers to that question, but but they want us to be focused on what God is doing in the future, what God is doing in the midst of this evil that is there in the first place. And we can find ourselves sort of blinded to what god is actually up to if we let our conceptions of what god should do what we think god should be up to cloud what god is actually doing now we as christians we know the gospel we know what god is up to in the world we know god is about redemption he's about restoration he's about reclamation he's about forgiveness he's about healing he's about new creation That is what the gospel is all about. And so, when we apply that to bad things in our lives, we have to understand that God is also working that in the midst of pain and hardship and evil and suffering. That is the gospel. God takes us in our sin, marred by the sin of the world, and he remakes us, he saves us through his son. And so the answer to the problem of evil for us as Christians, is actually still the gospel. Just like everything else in Christianity comes back to the gospel, so does our response to bad things in the world. This view that, this belief, this hope that God does something about evil, that He defeats it on the cross, that He uh, removes its power over us, the the, the 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 weight of sin that that holds us, that makes us a part of evil in the world, we're released from that, we're set free from it, and we are we are made uh, into new creations, people who are, who are set free from that sin and can do the same work that God does in the world now, following Jesus. I want to I explain what this looks like. Um, this is a, a bowl that we have um, at our house, and it's called a uh, kintsugi bowl. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this bowl. They're, they're kind of popular. I got it for Julie as a gift. Um, and, and kintsugi is a Japanese art, a, a, a really old one. It's not a new thing, um, of taking broken pottery... And, and, and then putting it back together again, and the beauty of the pottery is not what it used to be, but what it's become now as it's been remade in its brokenness. And so what they actually do is they they fill in the cracks of the bowl with gold or silver or platinum or something. Now I'm pretty sure that our bowl doesn't have real gold in it because I paid like. Thirty bucks online for it. So my guess is it's not real gold holding it together. But the point sort of stands, right? Uh, th- th- that now this thing is, and this is this is what the art is about. This thing is more beautiful now than it was when it was initially broken, and and we find this in the gospel as well. The thing that makes. Us beautiful is, is how we're put back together again, despite sin in the world, despite our sin or the sin of others, that what that does to us, we are put back together again in the gospel. And the, th- and the gold that sort of pieces us back together again, that gives us beauty, is not anything we do, but it's Jesus, the one who, who fills in the cracks between us himself. Jesus is, is the gold, so we are the bowls of brokenness, representing that, and we are put back together again by Jesus, himself being the one that is gold and, and the one who, 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 who sees us as beautiful still and able to be made beautiful as we are remade in him. And we as Christians, we don't find beauty in things that are perfect and that are not broken, I think that we, we look for that sometimes or we try to uh, treat people around us by, by making them think they have to be perfect and that's what God wants. But that's not what God wants. God, through Jesus, wants us to find our beauty as we are remade through him. And so what happens when, when, we, are these, when we are these broken bulls that have been put back together again, whatever has broken us, whatever has, been, has made us to be broken in the first place, when we're put back together again, we are beautiful. And we are, we are a beauty that shows the gospel, that shows the power of God to, to take broken things and put them back together again. Whether that's people, whether that's institutions, whether it's the world itself. Because that's what the gospel is all about, is remaking all creation. And so the Christian answer to that old classical problem of evil, right? That, that one that says, well, if God were all powerful, he would stop bad things from happening. And if you were all, were all good... He, he would, uh, he would um, stop bad things from happening uh, is, is that God shows his power not by, not by sort of just stopping things from getting broken in the first place. And remember, that's a complex question, okay? And it matters, and I'm not saying we shouldn't ask it, and in other, another sermon, we'll, we'll deal with that. But God shows his power not just in stopping things from getting broken in the first place, but actually taking them and putting them back together again into something even more beautiful than they were before they were broken. Right? That takes more skill, more ability, more power than just sort of you know keeping, every, keeping all the bowls on the table and, and keeping them from falling off. right The one who can take those bowls, put them back together again, and make them more beautiful than they were in the first place has more power than the one who just keeps them from falling in the first place. And we see his, his goodness because in love, he doesn't just uh, sweep the broken things away and go get a new bowl, but in love, he takes that bowl as if it is his favorite bowl and puts it back together again. In love. And so God is all-powerful and he is all-loving and we only see that through the gospel. And that's where we as Christians should be going when we experience pain and suffering and evil, blindness, whatever it is that we come across in our lives. And so our, our, our last point of application today is is. Pray to ask God what he will do through your suffering, your pain, your hardship and evil. Don't just look to to try to ask God to stop bad things from happening to you. But instead, uh, ask when the bad things do happen. Because they will. Don't let that be a challenge to your faith. But let it be actually a chance for your faith to grow into something greater than it was before. As you experience God uh, uh, bringing something even more beautiful out of that than was there before. I'm going to pray to close us, and then we're going to enter into a time of, of worship and reflection uh, over that. Uh, Father, we, we thank you that you do not uh, leave us broken in our sin or in the sin of others that, bra- that, that comes and breaks us, God. Because we live in a broken world that it in itself um, has experienced the effects of, of sin where everything is broken. And God, we thank you that in love, you don't leave us as broken, and in power, you put us back together again into something more beautiful than was there when we were broken, before we were broken, God. I pray that our hope would be found in that as we go out from this place or, or as we go out from wherever we're watching online right now um, and we experience brokenness in our lives or, or brokenness in other places, as we experience pain and suffering and evil, God, I pray that our hope would be firmly planted in your son and in his gospel and we would rejoice in that, Lord, uh, no matter what comes at us. That's our prayer this morning and every day, God. In Jesus' name, amen.